Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. Um, and the tactic I use here is uh, something we talk about at Etsy called assuming good intentions. So assuming that difficult people are not difficult in nature, they're just difficult to you in this particular situation. Maybe because they don't believe in your strategy. Maybe they have other priorities. Maybe they just don't have time for you. So let me start with a few examples. Uh, the most common situation I run into when I'm trying to lead a large horizontal initiative is people don't respond to me. I send an email, I ask them to meet with me, and they just decline, they don't respond. So in this situation, assuming good intentions is a lens you put on and think, okay, so they probably don't have time, they probably have other metrics that they want to drive, so our metrics aren't aligned. Let me take a step back and set up a meeting where I ask them how I can help them. Let me reverse the role. How can I help you reach all your goals and priorities while trying to get to mine? Is there a common ground there? And that usually opens the conversation up more for, for more discussion. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. Good afternoon. My name is Kevin. How's everyone doing? Hopefully you guys are still awake. Okay. Um, so today I want to share what a typical career path looks like for a product manager. Um, there's many different levels, so I'll be talking about the levels from the very basic, which is associate product manager, all the way through staff product manager, which is where I am today. And I'll talk about some of the key skills that you would need at each level of product management to be successful. So I work at Etsy. Uh, Etsy is an online marketplace for handcraft goods. I've been there for three and a half years. And last year, around this time, I was going through one of the most challenging times in my career as a product manager. Uh, my company was going through some very drastic changes. In fact, this was a headline on Business Insider at the time. It said, Etsy tanks after announcing a new CEO, flat earnings, and job cuts. So at this time, we just laid off 25% of the workforce, including our CEO, CTO, and most of our executive team. Uh, but as product managers, like myself at Etsy, we were still expected to deliver on the roadmap that we committed to before all the layoffs. So with 25% less people, with a completely demoralized team, and at the same time, we were expected to come up with new strategies to help turn the company around. So needless to say, this is a very challenging time, and it was in this time that I realized the most important skill that every product manager should have, no matter what level you're at, is actually the ability to create positivity, uh, not just for yourself, but for your team around you. So at this time, uh, I would say 80% of my team were looking for new jobs or thinking about quitting. Uh, and I just have to keep the momentum going. I have to tell them every day, like, hey, everything's going to be okay. Let's just take it one feature at a time, one launch at a time. We're going to turn things around. And this is a skill that I learned actually very early on in my career. Um, as a new product manager, you're going to launch things, and they're not going to succeed right away. 
In fact, it usually takes two or three iterations before you start seeing traction or usage. Uh, so keeping positivity, keeping your team positive is really the most important skill you have as a new product manager to keep things going, to reach that goal that you've set for yourself. So I took a very typical career path into product management. I studied computer engineering in undergrad. Then I joined Microsoft uh, in my first PM role. Uh, later, I went to LinkedIn. Before they were acquired by Microsoft, I worked for a few years there, uh, all in the Bay Area before coming to New York and joining Etsy as a product manager. And when I first joined Microsoft, I started off at the very bottom, which is what I would describe an associate product manager role, even though it wasn't called that at Microsoft. Uh, then at LinkedIn, I became a product manager. Then at Etsy, I moved through the senior product manager role to where I am today, which is a staff product manager role. So having worked at these different companies and seeing the expectations at different levels and also worked with product managers who came from many other different companies like Google and Facebook, uh, I have a sense of what the tech industry expects from each level of product management. So at a high level, I would say it looks something like this. When you start at the bottom as an associate product manager, you're typically expected to just execute on projects or ideas that are given to you. Uh, then, as you proceed into the product management level, now you're responsible for prioritization, picking out what are the highest impact projects that you can work on uh, for, your, for your roadmap, for your team. And then when you get to the senior level, uh, you're responsible for setting strategy. So you're thinking more long term. How, what, where's my team going in three to five years? How do I get there? And then when you get to staff product manager, you're doing all the same things you have been doing, but now you're working more horizontally. So you're leading large company-wide initiatives, working with multiple teams, uh, perhaps a strategy that spans more than five years. Uh, and when you get to director or hire, this is when you get into people management, multi-team management, but today's presentation, I'm going to focus on the first four levels, which is uh, from, staff, uh, from associate to staff. So starting with the associate PM, uh, execution. So it's about delivering as quickly with as high quality as you can. Uh, when you start off in this role, you're typically shadowing a more senior PM, learning the ropes on how to do product management in the first place. You're given small contained projects with finite scope. Uh, things like changing the address import form on a checkout experience or maybe adding a video filter on a social news feed. So when you're in this role, I think one of the most important skills that you need to have is how to lead without expertise. So you are the most junior person in the room, yet you are put into a leadership position. That is a very challenging situation to be in. Uh, so you have to be able to take the team where you want to go without being the most knowledgeable person in the room. And the tactic that I used when I was an associate product manager uh, to do this was to be the note taker, which is very counterintuitive, right? It's the most trivial task, and nobody wants to do this. Yet I found that by being the note taker, I could lead the team in the direction I want to go. So let me give you an example. When I first joined Microsoft in 2009, I was working on a product called Hotmail. Now, how many of you still remember Hotmail? Okay. So I won't explain what it is. Um, it was... Today, everyone uses Gmail, but back then, Hotmail had 300 million monthly active users. So it was a very large web service, even bigger than Facebook at the time. Uh, when I joined as an associate PM, I didn't know how to be a PM. I didn't know how to run a large-scale web service. Uh, so I basically had no idea how to do the projects that I needed to do. And whenever I needed to make a key decision, what I did was I would just bring all the people that I knew probably had the right answers 
into one meeting, facilitate the meeting, take notes, and then summarize some of the key decisions after the meeting and send it out. Uh, after doing that a few times, I realized when I send out those decisions to larger groups of stakeholders, it looked like I led everyone to those decisions. <laughs> Even though I didn't contribute anything at all in the meeting. So that's how I got my credibility early on. Fake it until you make it. Uh, another key skill I think associate PMs should really have is the constraint to not lead in situations where you don't know. Uh, so I've seen a lot of new PMs fall into this uh, pitfall, which is they become a product manager, they immediately want to take charge and say, I'm the PM, this is what I want you guys to do. Uh, most recently at Etsy, I had a product manager who came to me for advice because he was having problems with his team. And through discussion, I found out that he was doing exactly this mistake. He joined the team, didn't know anyone on the team, didn't know anything about the domain. He merely tried to set a roadmap and merely tried to change the projects that the team was working on without any input from the people around him. So he quickly lost respect uh, of his team. If you have enjoyed the episode so far, check out our upcoming live events at productschool.com slash events. Use the promo code PRODUCTPODCAST in all caps to get a free ticket to the next event in your city. So I think as a new PM, especially as an associate PM, you really have to learn what are the forces that are acting on the team you're trying to lead. Who are the key decision makers on the team before you joined? Who are the key external stakeholders that have influence over your team? Once you understand these forces, then you can say, okay, I'm going to eliminate some of these forces because they're not really helpful for my team. I'm going to influence some of these other forces so that they become under my influence. And then you can start pivoting the team in the direction that you want to go. After one to two years as an associate PM, uh, most product managers now move on to the product manager level. So you drop the associate in your title, and now you're a real product manager. Uh, at this level, you're not just executing anymore. You are now prioritizing what to work on, picking the projects with the most impactful work. And th I think that the key skill to prioritization is actually first not prioritizing and defining what your success metric is. So I want to share a poem that I've adapted from the movie Lord of the Rings to describe how important this skill is. One metric to rule them all, one metric to find them, one metric to bring them all, and in the common goal, bind them. So what this poem is really saying is you need that one success metric, whether it's revenues, whether it's users, whether it's time spent, in order to measure the impact of everything you want to do. You can't have more than one. Otherwise, you're going to have conflicting prioritization. So when I first joined Etsy, I was working on buyer growth, building marketing emails to bring buyers back to the site to buy again and again. And in this role, I had to partner with our buyer marketing team. So I would create the tools, for the, uh, the templates for the emails, and they would create the marketing content for the emails. So we had to work together. But unfortunately, we had very different uh, success metrics. So the marketing team really cared about just volume of emails, sends, opens, and clicks. Whereas I, on the product side, cared about conversion. People have to come back to the site in order to, and buy something in order for me to call that a success. Because we had these different success metrics, we could never align on which project to work on next. So what I did was I created an overarching metric for both of our teams called the daily active buyer. So these are the number of people that come to the site to buy 
uh, every, on a daily basis. So you can see on one side, it encompasses what marketing cares about, which is opens, email sends, clicks. And on the other side, it encompasses conversion rate. So with this framework, we were able to measure every single idea we had, whether it came from the marketing side or the product side, against daily active buyers. So it's very easy to say, we're going to work on project A instead of project B because this one drives more daily active buyers. So after a few years working as a product manager, uh, people then move on to the senior product management role. So at this level, now you're setting strategy. You're looking long-term. You're thinking about where your team is going to be in the next few years. Um, and not only do you have to think about a strategy, you have to make it convincing for everyone around you. So because you need buy-in on the strategy from your team, from your managers, most of the time from your CEO. So the most important skill at this level is creating a convincing strategy. So a convincing strategy has a few components. Uh, first, it has a def uh, destination, a very exciting destination that people are motivated to get there. Uh, for example, let's, let's go to Mars. Right? And once you have that destination, you then need a very uh, urgent timeline to get there so that people are motivated to work on it. So you can't say, let's go to Mars in 50 years. You have to say, let's go to Mars in five years. Once you have the destination and this timeline, then you can create a roadmap, which are a series of logical, analytically sound steps for you to get there. So let me show you an example. Let's say we're an e-commerce company, not naming names, that charges $100 a year to my customers for two-day delivery. And in three to five years, I want my company to only charge my customers $10 a year for under five-hour delivery. So the destination here is a 10x increase in speed and a 10x decrease in cost. So that is ambitious. It's barely realistic, so it's exciting, right? <laughs> and then you give yourself a timeline to get there in three to five years. So there's urgency. We can't think about this problem for too long. We've got to act right now. So once you have this framework, then you can start coming up with a roadmap. So the first step maybe I want to solve is creating the best cross-country delivery logistics in the world. So maybe I stop partnering with my traditional carriers like FedEx and UPS, and I drive my own trucks and hire my own driver to deliver on the routes that are optimized for my customers. Then I want to solve the problem with high-density areas, like New York, where there's a lot of traffic, there's no parking, making delivery very hard. So maybe I crowdsource delivery here, get people on bikes, scooters, uh, uh, whatever, on foot to deliver the packages for my company. Another problem I want to solve along the way is the rural area problem. We know houses are far apart, so driving from house, house to house costs gas, costs time. So we, we, we cut the labor cost. We automate the delivery here with drones. So these are the series of steps that you would build up towards, okay, this is how I'm going to get to uh, the 10x increase that I want in three to five years. Now, in real life, I can't just make this up. I need to back up with a lot of evidence, a lot of user insights, market insights. Uh, sometimes I need to run a few experiments, uh, such as MVPs, to get data to confirm my assumptions that this is going to work. And ultimately, you need to package all that information into one convincing presentation for your CEO, for your manager, for your VP of product, in order to let them invest in this strategy that you've created for the next few years. 
After learning how to develop strategies, PMs then go to the staff product manager level. At this level, uh, you are still doing all the same things you have been doing, execution, prioritization, strategy. But the work you're doing is probably more horizontal. So now you are getting other teams to work with you. So example project here could be I'm launching the first ever subscription program for my e-commerce company. After work with the search team, the checkout team, the product listing team, the fees team, and I have to coordinate all their efforts in order for this one launch. Uh, the skill that I think is most important at this level is collaboration, and not just collaboration with people who are easy, right? everyone knows how to do that, but collaborating with difficult people. Um, and the tactic that I use here is uh, something we talk about at Etsy called assuming good intentions. So assuming that difficult people are not difficult in nature, they're just difficult to you in this particular situation. Maybe because they don't believe in your strategy. Maybe they have other priorities. Maybe they just don't have time for you. So let me start with a few examples. Uh, the most common situation I run into when I'm trying to lead a large horizontal initiative is people don't respond to me. I send an email. I ask them to meet with me. And they just decline. They don't respond. So in this situation, assuming good intentions is a lens you put on and think, OK, so they probably don't have time. They probably have other metrics that they want to drive, so our metrics aren't aligned. Let me take a step back and set up a meeting where I ask them how I can help them. Let me reverse the role. How can I help you reach all your goals and priorities while trying to get to mine? Is there a common ground there? And that usually opens the conversation up more for, for more discussion. Another very common situation you run into as a product manager uh, when, you, when working horizontally is ownership dispute. Why are you working in my area? I own checkout. Um, I decide what changes are happening here. Those are very common discussions that I get into. And here, again, putting on the assuming good intentions lens, you think about the other person as someone who has the best intentions for the company, best intentions for our customers, and best intentions for their product area. They probably have real concerns and risks that you need to listen to before you try to push your agenda onto them. So again, reversing that role, saying, what are your concerns? What are your problems? Let's sit down, and I want to help you. Let's work together to address those concerns and problems. So no matter what level of product management you're in, I think learning and growing really never stops, especially in tech because the environment's so dynamic. Not only technology, but your team. It's a very high turnover rate industry. Your team is constantly changing. I never work with the same set of engineers for more than six months. Uh, so I think learning for PMs is really important. And I used to think that all of the learning that we can do as PMs come from news, uh, news articles or people's blog posts or Twitter, uh, because it's very easy for me to find five minutes in my day to read that article. But then I later realized uh, reading books, uh, especially the ones that are related to the skills that you need as a product manager, are much more impactful in your career. And here are a few that I would recommend. Uh, they have helped me throughout my career. So the first one is Making Things Happen. This is written by a Microsoft PM for Microsoft PMs. So you could call it an internal tradecraft manual. Uh, but a lot of the situations and the skills described in the book can be applied uh, that I found in, in product management at any other company. Uh, the second one is pretty, a pretty popular one. It's called the Lean Startup. It talks about the history and the context of Agile methodology, which is the most popular development methodology today. And that, that was the first book that introduced me to MVPs. 
The next two books, I think, are for product managers who have the fundamental skills but now want to hone your leadership skill. So The High Output Management is a book by Andy Grove, who is the CEO of Intel, who was the CEO of Intel. And he basically moved from an engineer all the way up to CEO. He climbed the entire ladder. And he talks about all the different situations that a manager need to handle uh, in, order, in their leadership career, from one-on-ones to managing performance to getting people motivated. Really useful book. The last book, The Charisma Myth, is not very popularly recommended, I think, in the product management industry, but really helped me understand what type of leader I am and what is my leadership style. So the book talks about different ways you can be charismatic as a leader, no matter what your personality type is. So you don't have to be the funniest person, you don't have to be the loudest person, and yet you can still have an effective charismatic leadership style. So I really hope each of you can take away one small piece of insight for your own or your future product management career. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.